Welcome to what we'll call bonus episodes of Backlash Podcast. The reason I say bonus episodes is because typically we don't come out with episodes on a Monday. And if you're listening on release day, it's Monday. And you can ask yourself why. Well, we teased late March, maybe even the early couple episodes in April about us doing something. Well, I had this bright idea that we would do a podcast a day for this week. So this is episode number one of the week. You're going to see four more episodes this week, and we're going to talk to various musky guides around the Midwest, and we're going to talk basically about early season musky fishing. And so this week we're going to, this first episode, we're going to talk to Phil Bowerly out of Leech Lake, Minnesota, and we're going to talk early season musky fishing as we will do all week long. Hopefully it's like a kickoff to musky season for those of you that have musky seasons we obviously know there's many listeners that are out chasing muskies already and we're very jealous of them unfortunately me and brad are not in that group so well brad's been out fishing already but i am not in that group because i'm not one of the chosen ones <laughs> or you didn't choose to jeff but that's the way that works <laughs> that, that probably is actually it because i had an opportunity to go fishing already and i didn't i didn't take it I'm I'm still trying to get caught up. I want to try to get, I want to try to say what I'm like at like even level before we start the season. I'm always playing catch up and I'm always behind when the fishing season starts and I'm trying to avoid that. So I, yes, you're right. It's my, it's my fault. I have nobody to blame, but me, I, I have not chosen to take that path. Well, that doesn't mean that it's a, a bad thing, Jeff, by any means. The way the weather has been, the early season has not been real stellar pretty much across the whole country. So there's guys catching fish, obviously, but at the end of the day, I would say it's not been the easiest spring with these giant cold fronts that everybody across the whole country has been dealing with. Well, you know, Brad, we're a little early on recording these episodes, so we can only hope that by the time that these episodes start coming out, that things start to take a turn. You know, as of right now, it's terrible, mostly terrible, and it has been. I guess we can only hope that better days are ahead. Maybe they're better when people are listening to these episodes. Yeah, for sure, Jeff. I mean, you know as well as I do, uh, Mother Nature has her own little plan, but at the end of the day, everything generally stables back out. Across the country, it should just start improving. I mean, I'm guessing, I mean, spring is kind of here, even though it's been snowing and blowing and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, but it's going to stabilize, get ready. Um, season's upon us here real shortly. So it's time to get excited. That's for sure. And if you've been out in your boats and you're cleaning things up and you're taking stock of your gear and you realize that you're missing something, well, you can go find that at teamrhinooutdoors.com or you can find gear at muskymayhemtackle.com. Both companies would be more than happy to help you get geared up for your 2022 musky fishing season or year, depending on where you are. All right, I got nothing else to add to this intro, so let's go dial up our conversation with Captain Phil Bowerly, who's talking about Minnesota muskies. All right, our guest to start this week off is Phil Bowerly, and Phil's out of, fishing out of Minnesota. You've had We've had Phil on the podcast, I think it was actually probably not too long ago. Was it Phil? Was it maybe... Three months ago or so, December-ish? Uh, I think it was on in June of last year, May or June. Was it really that long ago? I think so. If I, if I remember right, it was 115, episode 115, something like that. Yeah, I didn't realize that it was it was quite so long ago, Phil. I, <laughs> time flies, I guess, when you're having fun. Anyways, you're going to be the guinea pig this week. We're going to talk about spring fishing. For anybody that didn't listen to episode 115, why don't you talk a little bit about where they can find more information on you before we get rolling today? Okay, they can look at uh, outrightangling.com or Facebook or Instagram. They can find me or 218-209-6285. They can call or text if they want to. So, Phil, what kind of availability do you have right now for guide trips? Yeah, so right now it's filling in. If I was going to work backwards, I've got a lot of October dates open yet. And then summer, I'm about two-thirds booked. And uh, June is getting pretty tight right now. So I think I've got three trolling dates left. Maybe a couple of early, early, one early, early casting gate left. So tight. It's, it's filling in nicely, but I've got dates every month that are open. Hopefully we can uh, help fill that book a little bit. Yeah, like with me. 
Carrie's <laughs> <laughs> looking at booking a trip, so. I am. I'm Just serious. Tell me I, the date. I, I uh, signed myself up for that um, Brainerd Chapters Jeff Young Memorial Musky Shootout in, I think it's oh, the yeah. end of September, beginning of October. But I've only been on Leech like once in my entire life. So I figure I better maybe spend a little time over there. So I have a little yeah, bit of a idea. Yeah, let's get you dialed in over here. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. You, you can take home the trophy this year. Oh, that'd be funny, actually. I don't take I don't take fishing, even the tournament stuff, super seriously. I like to do it; it's fun, but I also like to have fun. So that would be a trip. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do some fishing. Sounds good. All right, Phil. Well, we can't talk early season without talking water temperatures, and I mean, water temperatures are a discussion throughout the course of the year everybody wants to know what the water temperature was but if you you know go back a ways and you look at we'll say older musky hunter magazines they're always talking water temperatures how much of a factor do you play in or do you put in water temperatures when it comes to selecting fish locations for early season i would say personally you know our musky season opens june 4th here in minnesota this year i believe by the time we get to that point Bait fish locations are super important, but, you know, as far as factoring in the water temperature, that might help us get a pattern going, depending on if the fish are going to be close to a spawning bay or if they're going to be moving away from them or if they're going to be, you know, if there's fish in the basin or if there's fish, you know, trying to get back up into shallow water to warm up uh, and find bait fish. Uh, So it's important, but it's hard for me to, say that it's the most important thing uh you know as far as starting in june obviously we're out walleye fishing in may so we're paying attention to where the fish are at there's always some muskies when we're walleye fishing we're following the shiners when the water's in the 50s it's a jig and shiner bite out here and there's always some muskies hanging around those areas where the walleyes the shiners and the perch are congregating and everything revolves around those shiner minnows, I think, in water temps and wind direction. And so from May, you can catch a few fish in those areas. Once we get into June, there's going to be post-spawn fish that some of them will relate to those areas where the perch and the walleyes and the shiners are. You can get a few fish in those areas, if that makes sense, and then you can get some fish. There's a bunch of fish dumping out into the basin looking for you know, in the tulipy areas, in the big water, let's say. There's a kind of a couple different ways you can go early season. Typically, the guides out here, historically, a lot of them, and some still don't book any trips before, you know, around the 1st of July, just because they say the fish aren't feeding or their teeth are falling out or whatever some of the old timers would say. Turns out they're feeding. A lot of them are in the basin feeding on whitefish and tulabies, not on spots. You know, you can't pattern them as easily or they weren't, they weren't dialed into that. And there are some, a few, a few fish that will show up, uh, you know, hang around adjacent to spawning areas. And basically it's the first good habitat that they come across, whether it's weeds or rocks that has some food on it. So a lot of times it's, just gobs and gobs of shiner minnows that are collecting perch and walleyes and everything else. So the, some of those fish will set up shops. So we, a lot of times we'll cast at those fish. And then the fish that are out in the basins looking for, you know, ciscos and whitefish, we start out usually trolling. I can't disagree with anything you just said, number one. But one thing that I've always thought about in the month of June, it's really strange, but I think more importantly than water temps, a lot of times it's about calendar time. And for whatever reason, the month of June has always seemed to me, here in Minnesota anyway, to be more of a calendar effect than it is necessarily a water temp. Yeah, I fish the calendar big time. And uh, a lot of times, and you've probably experienced this too, you've got the same clients booked on the same day every year. You know, you fish and it's a, if it's a bit of a grinder, you, you're trying to you're trying to do the the smartest thing and the best thing to put them on fish and maybe it's not happening. So eventually you go, well, 
maybe we should go to that weed bed where you caught that one last year. <laughs> sure enough, you, you hit the same client, same spot, and you catch a fish. And it, ha- it happens over and over again on the same day of the year, <laughs> on the calendar year. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you this then, you know, talking about water temp and talking about calendar now, how about weed growth? Is that any part of your uh, consideration on where you might be fishing? I mean, every year the ice goes off at a different time. Maybe we had less snow, so we still maintain the bunch of weeds throughout the winter. But I always look for the fresh green growth of weeds, which I think kind of relates back to your whole shiner process. For sure. And that just collects everything. If it's up, green weed collects everything. And I, I don't even think they have the weeds have to be that tall. As long as they're green and growing, it can really hold fish that time of year. We do a lot of walleye fishing in the weeds, May into June. Some years the cabbage is topped out practically, and other years it's six inches tall, but it will hold fish either way. Is that something, Jeff, that you can relate to, you know, in Wisconsin as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we definitely, I pay attention to it and I, I pay attention to water temperature. I pay attention to weed growth. I, I will, I mean, I'll drive around and check out bait fish. Those are all things that I definitely, much like Phil's doing, I'm checking those same things. Yeah, obviously, you know, once the spawn's over, these muskies only do one thing the rest of the year and that's eat. So they're not going to be too far from the food source typically. Yeah, and we're basically starting from scratch on musky opener, right? So, um, I mean, that's one thing you can do legally is drive around with your electronics, look for pots of bait fish. If you've got time before, you know, the days before musky opener, you can do that. Check on some things. See where the bait's at because where they're going to be. Well, you know, we'll go back quite a ways. You know, before all the side imaging stuff and everything, when I was out musky fishing, the ice comes off in the southern part of the state usually – Sometimes in March, other times it's in April, but usually it's off in, in well in advance of the musky season. And so there was times that I would just go to lakes and I would literally just map out different structure. I'd map out weeds and I was just plotting waypoints all over the place. If I found a new rock pile, I would just mark all that stuff. So I went and did a bunch of homework scouting things, you know, prior to musky season. And that was, I mean, but now obviously things are so much quicker. You want to go mark a rock bar. You make one pass with side imaging and you can see exactly what you're dealing with, how big the rocks are, whether they're big rocks or, or big boulders or everything. So, I mean, things have obviously changed, but those were all things that I used to do, you know, back in the day. I did a lot of preseason, you know, we'll call it scouting, essentially. Yeah, and I do it too, but, uh, before and after. Uh, and, and we're walleye fishing out here too, so we're paying attention uh, every day to what's going on. People have time. Go out, run around, look for bait fish. It's def- that'll definitely help them get 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 themselves in the right area on on musky opener for sure. It's a good idea. I think one of the biggest hangups that people have, you know, they all look at that water temp, and you know, it kind of goes to the old saying: "When's the best time to go musky fishing?" when you can, when you have the time to go. And I don't think you need to worry about water temp as much as everybody wants to think that that's such a huge role. Don't get me wrong, water temps play a factor. But at the end of the day, get out there, do some exploring, kind of like what you guys are just saying, and make it happen. Yeah, Brad, wouldn't you say too, uh, you know, if we if we were out fishing in May, you know, if we could fish for muskies in May, it would be the most important thing probably to find the warmest water by the time you get to june there's uh, the dynamic has changed the bait fish musky dynamic has changed a little bit and they're going to have a lot more options of where they can be and where they can feed at that time yeah absolutely you said it earlier you're talking about having the same clients year after year after year whatever on the same dates and you know, every year is a little bit different. I mean, I've had it where I've booked, like, say, an open water trolling group, and that's all they came for. They didn't want to do any casting. So it really kind of pinches you if those fish aren't out in that open basin. I mean, don't get me wrong. Every fish in the system is in, in one spot at one time. So, you know, you can still make things happen. But, you know, we we as fishermen, I think, always lean towards the best avenue for the best opportunity that they catch. And sometimes that isn't in the open basin. So those are considerations that you got to make as well. You know, be ready to, to change over. Definitely something to consider. Yeah, I think, I think here on Leech Lake, we've, we've got typical June opener. 
we've got a few fish in the weeds. There's a few fish on rock areas, not many. The number there's more numbers of good fish out in the basin probably than anywhere else. So I mean, there, if you want to cast, you can catch a few fish casting, but don't expect uh, you know to, you could find the mother load, but probably you're going to find a couple here, a couple there. Uh, to where if you really want to get a good pattern going, it's probably a Cisco thing out here. Well, I know Leach has always been known for that. That's for sure. And it's it's pretty exciting. And there's a lot of people that are afraid to go out in that open water and actually try to figure it out. But relatively speaking, I mean, looking for a school of tulabies or whitefish, whatever you might have, it's no different than going and looking for weeds on a new body of water that you don't know. I mean, look at it that way. And if you put it in that perspective, I think things become very simple. Yeah, I always say, are you trolling structure or are you trolling bait fish? And, you know, typically trolling bait fish uh, is the way to go, but sometimes that bait fish is closer to structure than other times. So it can become, uh, you, you know, you can be doing both. So one thing that I would like to ask, Phil, let's talk about opener. How are you dealing with the opener pressure that we normally typically see in this stage anyway? I always think it's funny because it seems like everybody's a muskie angler for at least two days a year. And then you kind of see people kind of dwindle and there's less and less pressure throughout the rest of the season. What do you do on those opening days? A lot of times I will not even fish the opener. I have the past couple seasons just because I've got the, 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 the itch and I need to scratch it. But you know, typically I will just start out on Sunday because it seems like half that crew is already gone. Yeah, I can remember being crowded out on some smaller lakes when I jumped around a little bit more. But I would say out here on Leech, it's got a reputation as kind of a slow starter lake. So it's uh, opener is kind of overlooked out here, I would say. The fish are very catchable on opener no matter where you go. So it's a good time to trick a couple or a really big one. But I wouldn't say the pressure is uh, super heavy out here on a typical opener on Leech Lake compared to some of the smaller lakes that maybe warm up a little bit faster. Now you're going to have tons of people there with that being said, Phil. I know, right? I should, <laughs> I should be more careful. But no, also, I think also, a lot of times people come, people come here in June and get snake bit and then they say, well, we're not coming back next year until July. Right. Uh, and and the guides never pushed June fishing out here whatsoever because it was on the slow side for them and they didn't feel like they were dialed in. So um, I think that's changing a little bit. There's more people fishing out here in June, of course, more people open water fishing and uh, figuring that out a little bit. So Right. Well, all seven listeners that we have will probably be there on opener this year. <laughs> <laughs> Really? There's seven? Right. Well, Carrie and I re-listened to it, so that's two. I, I listen to it usually, so. <laughs> <laughs> By the time I recorded it, edited it, and, you know, I haven't had enough of it then, I usually like to listen to it a third time, so. Right, right. Makes <laughs> sense. Well, you know, Phil, you talked about, you know, Leech being a slow starter, and I know in, you know, Wisconsin, if there's a particular lake that's a slow starter, usually guys will just go find a different lake. Is that an option for you, or are you pretty much just sticking to Leech Lake regardless? It's definitely an option for me, and I might be doing that a little bit more this year, but in the past, I've mostly just stuck to Leech Lake. But we have, well, just the Tri-County area here, Cass, Beltrami, Hubbard County, we've got you know, over two dozen fishable musky lakes uh, in these three counties right here, so it's definitely an option, and there's some beautiful fish in uh some of the smaller lakes too so that's kind of the thing to do around here is hit the smaller lakes early and then most people show up you know in july or august for a little better bite out here uh on classic casting spots but the the open water trolling is definitely a lot more popular the last two or three years than it had been previously are you seeing a lot more open water casters as well phil yeah, yeah, some uh, quite a bit more open water casting and just a lot more open water trolling because 
last year we had such a warm June, the water temps were high. And so that kind of kicked in, I don't want to say early, but it kicked in hard, you know, pretty well. Unfortunately, a lot of reports of, you know, floating fish, dead fish. So I think the water was a little too warm. We quit really early last year trolling and basin fishing. We always try to run our baits, you know, close to the surface and pay attention to where the fish are at. Last year, I think we had some casualties out here just because people that were sort of new to it were, I think, mostly trolling. I don't know if uh, if it was deep fish and barrow trauma or thermal shock with fish coming to the surface quickly, but I know it kind of happens everywhere. But last year, it was uh, notable with the warm late June temps we had last year. Yeah, I would agree completely with that. I mean, as a general rule, what, you know, now we're talking water temp again. Um, as a general rule, I always look at it as when the thermal climb starts to develop, I'm done doing it. And I just know yep. over the past 18, 20 years, uh, I've always done this open water stuff and I, I love it. But once that thermocline develops, it seems like that's kind of the tattletale on, hey, quit. And I'm not running my baits deep at all. I mean, the deepest I will run a crankbait is somewhere around 10 feet. So, you know, you think about that, you wouldn't think you're going to be damaging anything. But when you have a fish that's, say, 20, 25 feet down, they will come up to that 10 foot and eat it. So it's not that hard for them to make a tail kick and bam, they're on your bait. So it's definitely something to consider. And the resource is truly important, and I'd encourage everybody to use their their melons when it comes to that. Yeah, I'm really a softy when it comes to protecting our fishery, especially Leech Lake here. It's kind of, it's an important fishery with natural reproduction. You know, call it the mother lake here if you want to. But um, I'm kind of a softy. I'm usually one of the first ones to put the the, tr- the trolling gear down or put the rods down completely if we're seeing you know, warm summer temps. Yeah, definitely. And the open water thing is, is great. We just have to pay attention to what's going on. Understand it, understand what the fish are doing. If there's a thermocline developing, like you say, that's a good time to go and try something else. Also, when you start seeing 74, 75 degree water temps, that can kick in a really good casting bite too. So that's, it's a good time to just uh, maybe make the switch there. All right, Phil. So the other conversation that a lot of people have when it comes to early season fishing is big baits, small baits. You want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on, I guess, either one of them? Yeah. So for me, anytime there's big water, I have a lot more confidence in using big baits. Also, if we're anywhere near uh, Tulabees or Cisco's, I would, I'm never afraid to, to run big baits. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's June or October occasionally you get clients that can't cast big baits all day. So you run, so I have a lot of opportunity to experiment with size and occasionally they prefer smaller baits, but I think that's more or less when there isn't tulabies or bigger forage available. So when they're keyed in early season, occasionally in June, um, we do see uh, fish that are keyed in on, you know, in weed beds and things like that, that are, that are preferring a little bit smaller stuff, but, I'm never afraid to throw big baits out here on Beach Lake. Totally agree with that. I follow the same deal. <laughs> I know if, if you're a caster, that first couple weeks of the season, the thing that's been beaten in everybody's brains for, I don't know, as long as I've known about musky fishing, is downsize, downsize for the opening week, the opening month. And I do the complete opposite. And the reason I do the complete opposite, I'm sure people are sick of hearing this on this podcast, but... I want to stand out and I want to look different. I want to be that easy, slower, retrieved, easy meal for a muskie. And and I look at it that way, you know. So definitely something to consider. I know it goes against everybody else's uh, intuition from everything that they've ever been taught or heard, but uh, it definitely pays off. Yeah, for sure. The only The only early season thing, occasionally we get on a bite where we'll throw – uh, something like, you know, a rabid squirrel or something like that can be really hot early season over weed beds, you know, smaller bucktails. And then I will throw in a, like a slash bait. I don't want to call it a twitch bait because it's more like everybody knows a, a, 
uh, an X-Wrap. It's got a really small lip on it. Musky size, I'll go to like a Bomber Long A or I've got a couple of Kodiak made ones with really small lips that and you're, you're, you're hitting them really hard like a bass fisherman would hit a jerk bait and getting a lot of really erratic, really overworking them. That can, that's one of my all-time producers for June casting. And it's just a really extreme, uh, jer- you know, bass style jerk bait, a little bit bigger if you can find them. That kind of a slash bait, that's been a good bait for me over the years. Or the small bucktail blades can be good. But I'm with you, Brad. Normally, I'm throwing a cowgirl or something like that. If there's any Cisco's anywhere near where we're fishing, we're running big baits usually. Also, if there's any wind, it doesn't matter what month it is. If there's any wind blowing at all, we're throwing bucktails. We're always throwing some big blades. If there's a chop to the water at all, we're going to be throwing tens and supermodels and stuff like that for sure over smaller blades every time. You know, one other thing that I, I've always done good with, you know, we have our psycho spins, but uh, a CJ spinner bait, I don't know what it is about that that whole month of June. If I'm casting, those spinner baits a lot of times get some attention that the typical inline or some of the other bladed baits don't get. And so that's always one that I kind of go lean on as well. Yeah, we've had, we've had some great days too in June, early season. Um, it's it's funny because we're, we start out looking for fish casting a lot of times on the shallow side. You're thinking, you know, inside weed line or in the weed bed. But for some reason, uh, some of our best days have come on outside deep weed lines right away, early June with cooler water temps. And I'm not sure what it is, but we're digging them off that outside weed line. And uh, yeah, spinnerbait can be a great tool for that, for sure. So, Jeff, what's your typical go-to early season bait? Regular size bulldog, probably. Throwing more rubber. Yeah, I, I mean, I lean towards rubber a lot anyways. I throw bucktails a lot, but I, I don't know. Like, if there's somebody else in the boat that I would say is likes throwing bucktails more, I usually give it to them. Otherwise, I'm going to go with either rubber or I've been using suix a lot, too. The last probably three, four seasons, I've gotten more back into throwing suix, so I'll throw either a nine or 10 inch suic fairly often. And those are, I mean, obviously it, it varies throughout the course of the season, but those are definitely things I start early. I, I like to, to throw in, you know, the pause. I mean, I, enough can't be stated about the pause in my opinion, how, how important it is and how many fish eat on the pause. Obviously with bucktails, it's not always the case, but you know, with every, with everything in, in musky fishing, there's no clear, hard, fast rules, right? But it's inevitable that if you give, you have a, a bait with a lot of pauses or a lot of jerks or a lot of, you know, that's really erratic. Those fish just, they just love it. Yeah. They can't handle it that time of year. Something crazy erratic, uh, seems to do it. Like I was talking about with the flash bait, but that you could definitely substitute a suic or, or something like a bulldog in that situation too. I, I don't be afraid to work, work the baits that time of year, I think. And, but yeah, throwing that pause, uh, seems to, seems to trigger bite. I think a lot of times, too, the consideration of just that confidence bait. I mean, if you have a bait that you're truly confident in and you work it properly, you're going to see some uh, some success with that as well. So it's definitely something to consider. Um, if, if you have that go-to bait, I would encourage you to, to try it in the month of June, absolutely. For sure. The one thing I do want to try, though, for more openers, I may, I may say this multiple times this week, but I want to try that short-line trolling stuff that you see in the east and i've done it a little bit up in northern wisconsin but i haven't done it enough and i that's something i just want to play around with a little bit give it a little bit more time a couple hours on a pattern isn't enough time to either say it works or say it doesn't work and i can't say that i've spent more than five hours doing it over the course of the last two seasons but it's definitely something i want to play with a little bit more is that a bite that you ever see phil because i mean I can honestly say that I've put a ton of time in doing the short line stuff. And yeah, Carrie's probably done more of it just because I'm like, all right, Carrie, here's your assignment. Get out there in the other boat. And I want you to do this and see if you can come up with a good bite. But typically, I mean, all of our bodies of water are so ultra clear. 
and maybe it's a timing thing. I, I haven't dialed it in, and I'm just curious if you've seen a short line trolling bite for you. Now, it's something that I've said I was going to do more of for years, and I've never, I've, I haven't dialed it in, the short line trolling thing. We're, we're typically, if we're trolling, it's more basin stuff away from shallow water. And uh, if we're fishing shallow water, we're casting typically. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's something I want to do more of. It, it has its time and place, but I, I haven't gotten dialed in on that. Bill, do you run a master? Are you just drawn with church boards or, or whatever the other regular boards are? I run a mass, yeah. I run a mass and big boards, and uh, I love it. Hookups are great and can get a good spread out. And Right. Yeah. So short line trolling, I mean, I know some of the setups that Brad's done is you're only running a few feet of line off the mass. Is that considered off the, off the main line, you know? So if you're only running a few feet of line off the main line, is that considered short line trolling besides the fact that you're 100 feet from the boat? Right, yeah, we're already doing it, right? We're just not doing it next to the boat all the time. <laughs> yeah, we definitely catch fish in the, you know, uh, in the prop wash, and we catch them running, you know, a liter plus a foot out on the mast line. Something I just haven't done a lot of is running real short uh, down runs. I did catch a few muskies doing it, but you get really sick of taking pike off. I caught piles and piles of pike shoreline trolling. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, at least you're catching something, I guess, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> She's the snot rocket queen. Uh, some, some days. I was when I was doing that, for sure. Are we good on big versus small? The only other thing I would add about, you know, big versus small is some of these um, really early season when we've got, for sure in May, but in June too, there was almost more muskies caught by accident by walleye fishermen than for sure by muskie fishermen in June anyway. And I think uh, that that should tell us something, you know, that they're, they're definitely eating, they're eating people's jigs and shiners. They're eating smaller bait fish for sure probably shiners, probably smaller perch. And, and one thing that I, I would love to try more too is, you know, like something like a, an A rig, or uh, I think you make a hurricane that would be perfect, you know, with a lot of blades that might resemble a school of shiners in some of those areas where we're walleye fishing and there's, there's muskies hanging around, uh, eating, eating the same things as the walleye. So another, another thing to try. <laughs> No, that's a valid point. I, I'll never forget. So the very first year that we started playing, I think it was 03, we built the single-bladed showgirl that we still sell today. Um, it was the very first bait that we came up with. And I'll never forget, we had this huge explosion of uh, shiner minnows that went ballistic in our lakes, right? And so you would see these gigantic schools next to the boat all the time. And I'll never forget casting this gold single-bladed showgirl, and it's coming through this giant school of shiners, and all of a sudden this muskie just comes up, and it must have thought, hey, that's something chasing one of these shiners, and it just crushed it like 10, 15 feet from the boat. I could visually, I can still see it today. And I started thinking, wow. You know, the cool thing about Flashaboo and some of our baits, it almost becomes lifelike. Another great example, like you said, the Hurricane. I mean, it's a unique bait, but you have all those blades on there. It almost looks like a bigger fish chasing a bunch of bait fish. So definitely something to maybe consider as well. Yeah, exactly. And I know when we're walleye fishing out here in May, the first week of the season, actually opening day, out of the... 10 or 15 guides that I communicate out here, one of us will catch a muskie when on a jig and a shiner opening day walleye fishing. It never fails. So they eat them. And some of them are pre-spawn full of eggs. And sometimes, you know, you try to take really good care of them. And sometimes uh, even the post-spawn spawn fish are visiting those uh, shiner minnows. And there's just a lot of muskies caught by walleye fishermen out here in the months of May and June. Pretty intriguing, that's for sure. All right, so Phil, we're a few weeks out from most of our, and we'll, I shouldn't say most of our listeners. Most, uh, there's a good portion of our listeners that are actually like back at it already. You know, the anglers in Wisconsin and the anglers in Minnesota primarily, they're the ones that are definitely left out. And so they're still 
gathering up their gear and getting things ready for the season. Do you want to offer up some suggestions on, you know, things they should look out for or things that should be done and, and get ready for the season? Yeah. So there's a couple of really basic things that I do that I've already started doing here. One of them, you know, just sharpening all, all my hooks. I, I'll bring my boxes of baits right into the living room and I've got a Dremel that I'll touch up all the, all the hooks before the season. It's just so important. And you don't want to be down to the last minute doing it. So it's just something you can start early and do. Uh, the other thing is I put together little hook replacement kits. So I've got like empty peanut butter jars or Tupperware or whatever you can find. And I'll put, you know, I've got one for seven odd hooks with some shrink tubing. And then I've got my, you know, my three eighths shrink tubing and I've got my number six split rings in there and I shove a lighter in there. And then I've got another one for, you know, five odd hooks. And then I've got another one that's got, you know, miscellaneous sizes, but they've all got the shrink tubing and the split rings and the lighter just ready to go in case we have to do any, uh, any hook cutting. Well, hopefully we do right off the bat and you're ready for that. The other thing that I do, which is just super simple, old school tip is just to take a Q-tip and just run it through all your line guides on your rods and you'll find any nicks or scratches in a, in a big hurry with that Q-tip. And it's just so simple that there's no reason not to do it before the season. And then of course line, everybody's going to replace line as needed, but do that, pay attention to that before the season. The only other thing is, you know, try to get, trying to get the electronics updated too. That's, uh, now is the time to do that and not, uh, not when you should be casting or trolling out there. I want to do it when, uh, when there's, we still have snow on the ground here. So <laughs> those are all valid points. That's for sure. And I think, uh, some people really get into it and they actually take care of those problems or, or potential tips that you just threw out there. But there's some guys that aren't going to get it done either. And they're going to end up in trouble those first couple of weeks of the season with uh, line breakages and, and things like that. The other one that maybe you didn't list was uh, leaders and checking your leaders and just making that all come about. I know we've had John Betty on many times from Stealth Tackle and, uh, you know, if you're using a stay lock, if you don't see the, the coating that's on those stay locks, remove that for sure. Possibly even the whole um, leader itself, but definitely great tips. I got a question for you, though, Phil. You're talking about sharpening hooks. I got to ask you, do you sharpen your trolling baits or do you not? <laughs> I will sharpen them if they're dull, dull. If they've been contacting rocks or, or I, but I don't, I don't need them to be ultra ultra sharp because I, I i don't know that it really helps you in hook and i know we both talked to matt about this and other people you know this, i guess the theory is if it's too sharp it sticks in the first place grabs the first thing it can and sometimes tears out so if they're dull it'll slide in into a better place get a good hookup so yeah i don't i don't when I'm trolling big baits with big hooks, I don't worry too much about getting them razor sharp. I, I, I think I, I, it, it tends to lead to more rips. Uh, I'd have to agree with, uh, with that theory, I guess. It sounds kind of a little bit backwards, but yeah, I don't, I don't get them razor sharp on my trolling lures, but my casting lures are as sharp as I can get them. Well, I follow suit with what you just said, you know, and I honestly argued with Matt about that originally. We're talking about Matt Seifert. As everybody, as a listener probably knows, Matt's pretty opinionated with certain things in the musky world, which is awesome because uh, he definitely has some valid points. But ultimately, I was struggling uh, when the hex bait first came out. And that hex bait, I was getting bit and I was getting bit. And I just could not get a fish in the bag. And I mean, don't get me wrong, we still caught some fish on them. But I had my hook sharp, and once I put just a factory hook on there, immediately my hooking percentage with the hex bait went up to about 95, 98% versus probably like 30%. So it definitely kind of made me switch gears on all my trolling baits on whether or not I sharpened them or not. And so today, 
I use factory hooks on my, my big crankbaits, and it definitely has seemed to work well for me. Yeah, you can't argue with success, right? <laughs> I think you just blew a lot of listeners' minds, Brad. And Phil, you guys are both telling people <laughs> not to sharpen hooks, essentially. This is something that's been going on since the beginning of time. Make sure your hooks are sharp, sharp hooks, sticky hooks, all this stuff. And now you're just like, yeah, we're, we're just not going to sharpen them. <laughs> well, I, you know, the proof's in the pudding, and um, it definitely made a change impacted my catch ratio so i can't argue with success like phil just said and i don't know there's something to it i mean you think about a razor sharp hook when you're trolling yes you got your drags backed off and yes you know the fish can run with the bait but think about it you'll never set the hook as hard by hand in casting and retrieving a bait than you will when a boat sets the hook when you're trolling so definitely something to consider i think when those hooks are that razor sharp it literally just starts cutting that hole bigger and eventually that hole being bigger wherever it's hooked up in that fish's mouth you're, you're just exposing yourself to for that fish to come free yeah and there's there's kind of two points when the hook can hook up and it's when the fish initially comes up and grabs it and if you have a, a razor sharp hook that's where it's going to stick in and the second time the fish comes up and grabs it, but then it also turns with it, right? And starts swimming away from you. Kind of like a circle hook in saltwater where it doesn't grab the first thing that it finds. It works its way into the corner of the mouth and hooks. And anyone that's fished circle hooks in saltwater or for catfish know that that fish is not coming off. <laughs> that fish just isn't going to come off of a circle hook. It's, it finds the right place of the mouth and hooks the fish. So. That's, uh, it doesn't make total sense, but to me, it makes enough sense to, uh, you know, not get my hook sticky sharp when I'm trolling. Well said. So I'm guessing if somebody's having issues with their trolling baits, especially larger baits and they're losing fish, that would be your advice to them. Make sure you're, you're using stock hooks according to what Brad would say then, right? can't believe we're saying it, but that's, that's, that's exactly right. That could help. All right. I can't believe we're saying it either, but <laughs> like Brad said, you can't argue, argue with success. So if, if you're losing fish trolling and you're, you know, I, I guess one thing, one thing I can say, Brad, is this, does it matter based on how fast you're moving? Like, can I sharpen my hooks if I'm trolling like 3.2 miles an hour and then I don't sharpen them at like 4.5? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. But I, honestly, I think where I was seeing those issues with the, uh, the hex bait, I mean, as particular, that hex bait is a very, very heavy bait too. So I don't know if that weight equation had something to do with it. Phil, what's your opinion on that? It very well could be. I definitely, I look back to when we've had more rips than hookups and it's typically for me, it was back when we were, trolling with inline boards and super sticky sharp hooks <laughs> now i troll with a mast and i don't worry about getting the hooks laser sharp uh our hook our hooking percentage is way better so i don't know it's a combination of things i would think a lot better hooking landing percentage than what we used to i would agree with that i will say that you're right the mass system changes the game quite a bit i mean those those fish come up there and they pop that clip and it, like you said, they turn away, they start swimming with that bait in their mouth and all of a sudden, zoop, zoop, you know, you, you get that bite and that boat setting the hook. It's totally different than a bait behind a regular church board or a offshore brand board where they're fighting the board instantly. I mean, they're not swimming with that bait per se. Yeah, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, th at that point with the bore, with the inline bore, it doesn't matter what kind of rod you're running or anything else. The board is applying pressure immediately to the, to the hook point. If that makes sense. Yep. That's exactly what I was trying to say as well. That, that, uh, I think makes a huge difference for sure. Yeah. We're just getting, we're just hooking the fish in the right place more often with <laughs> both with, uh, you know, running releases on a mast or, or, or maybe not having our hooks so sticky sharp either. Just little little nuances, I guess. That helped, Jeff? 
Yeah, I'm still over here. Just <laughs> I, I'm almost like just trying to figure out <laughs> what I actually just heard. Really, honestly. Uh, <laughs> With this, the hex, the hex debacle, it was insane. And the minute he switched to factory hooks, it was it was a game changer. I do. You, I don't. I don't want to. I'm not trying to disprove your theory. I'm just actually trying to figure it out. Do you think it's because of the not necessarily the weight on that hex, but do you think it's because of how overly erratic it is? Because, like a matlock is erratic, Brad, but that hex is really it can it can really move side to side like crazy. Do you think that has anything to do with that particular bait? And have you seen this, you know, not sharpened hook things with many other baits? Yeah, I mean, I I've experienced it with a bunch of different baits. The hex just really stood out to me primarily because of how poor my my hooking percentage was until I went to that unsharpened hook. So I don't know. I mean, you know, Phil made a, a solid point there when he said that we're hooking the right spot on the fish, right? Because there's some slippage. Um, he, he used the circle hook as a comparison. I don't know. I mean, I know Jeff Schulte, you know, who created the hex bait, and me and him discussed this many, many times, and he was in my boat many, many times, and he was trying every different kind of style of hook you can imagine. It was a fun project, and, you know, Seifert suggested what he suggested, and it definitely just made the change, and I, I didn't argue with it, you know, and, and that's the bottom line, I guess. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I learned things on this podcast that's ne- that's honestly never anything I've ever heard before. But as Phil alluded to, it's more of a, it seems like it's a larger bait kind of a thing. And let's be real, we don't, most of us over here don't troll larger baits that often. When I'm trolling bigger baits, it's typically during slower times. So maybe that stuff, you know, doesn't have as much of an impact. Just things I'm thinking of in, in my head, because I honestly have never heard that you wouldn't want to sharpen your larger baits when you're trolling. But I mean, if it works for you guys, it obviously, is, it, it makes sense. So it's. It's good. It's good to get the information out there. It's good for me to have the information. Yeah, people ask a lot, does this matter? Does that matter? But I, for me, everything matters. So <laughs> you know, overthinking it is always better than, than underthinking it, I think. But I think when the fish are eating it the right way, maybe it doesn't matter. But it, at times, I think, uh, um, yeah, you can get a better hookup with uh, a hook that doesn't poke a hole in the first place it touches the fish yeah yeah your logic certainly makes sense i mean if you were to ask 50 musky fishermen 50 trolling musky fishermen if they sharpen their hooks i'm gonna guess that 99 point whatever percent are gonna say yes yeah well, we can right we can do that let's jeff put a put a um survey on facebook I got to figure out how to put surveys on Facebook. Yep, you can do it. Um, you got a lot of extra time, Joe. Yeah. Put a survey on <laughs> Hold on a second. Why don't you back up? Why don't you put this on Facebook? I'm the one that has to edit this entire week worth of stuff. <laughs> this was your idea. <laughs> um, I'll try to figure it out, though. Put a, we'll put a survey on Facebook that, see, that says, do you sharpen your trolling bait hooks or not? This is going we'll to be a standard question now on the podcast. Man, this could yeah. impact my business, right? This yeah. guy doesn't even sharpen his trolling hook. <laughs> <laughs> or you could go the opposite way. This guy is so revolutionary that he doesn't sharpen his tra- trolling hooks, so I really need to fish with him. <laughs> okay. Anyway, anyway. Back on track. So, Phil, as we start to wind down this podcast, why don't you kind of give us an outlook on what you think about Leech Lake for this season? Yeah, so Leech Lake is a 111,000-acre lake. It's got all-natural reproduction. Uh, as most people know, kind of call it the mother lake out here. Um, it's where we, they use a lot of Leech Lake strained fish all over, as most people know. Statewide, uh, we pressure's up and stocking is down, so it's, uh, it's an important lake. Uh, we need to take care of the fish and the resource for sure. We've got a good number of just quality, quality fish out here, mid to upper 40s fish and some big ones too. Good average size, good place where people can come and catch their first muskie. 
uh, maybe catch their first 50 too. So it's, it's a great lake. We have to take care of the resource. Hopefully there's a lot of, you know, people new to musky fishing. Hopefully they're going to help us take care of this resource. So just one thing that we all can work on protecting the fisheries everywhere is just better TPR, better catch photo release, limiting the, the amount of time that we have these fish out of the water. Uh, since we're not stocking as many, it's just extra important uh, as we go on here with more fishing pressure, better electronics and, and less stocking. We just, we just need to do a really good job of taking care of these, these fisheries though. But yeah, come to Leech Lake, catch your first fish, catch your biggest fish. <laughs> um, it's a great fishery, diverse fishery. And uh, hopefully everybody has a great uh, 2022 season. Musky season, the greatest, uh, the greatest sport fish on the planet. I think one of the cool things too about that Leech Lake area, Phil, is the other bodies of water that are so close by. So you know, if you have a giant wind day or something like that, people can always escape, and uh, it just truly offers a unique perspective in the musky world. I mean, it's kind of a musky capital here in the state of Minnesota, and it's an ultra, ultra cool body of water to fish. So definitely would encourage listeners to to try to get in your boat fill if you've got some availability and uh, i know you're always on fish so that's the main thing yeah i'd love to have them uh yeah love being on the podcast too thanks thanks for having me on guys this is uh, i think people like listening to this podcast because you guys are knowledgeable for one but a couple of humble guys and uh, i'm just glad to be a part of this yeah we definitely appreciate the the kind words phil I don't know about knowledgeable. Brad is not so much me. I just got schooled tonight. So, um, I don't know how, how much knowledge there is over here, but before we get out of here, Phil, why don't you give everybody one last chance to, if they want to get in touch with you to give out that information? Yeah. So outrightangling.com 218-209-6285. You can shoot me a text or give me a call. See if I can get you on the calendar. So, Phil, we want to thank you for coming on today to be the guinea pig for our week-long, we'll call it early season tune-up extravaganza, however you want to talk about it. We can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to do that, along with all of our other guides that are going to come up this week. We want to thank all of our listeners for, you know, checking this episode out. This is episode one of five this week, and we'll uh, catch everybody again with a new episode tomorrow. 